Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Resist it. Steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power and glory forevermore. Amen. That's, we say doxologies in worship. I often uh, finish with, to God alone be the glory. It's a doxology. Sometimes it gives me comfort just to speak a doxology. It, it turns all of our worries, my worries, over to God, to God be the glory for now and forever. One verse today comes, our verse from this passage, humble yourselves, and that, ver- that, that word humble is connected with the second part. Humble yourselves by casting all your cares on God, for God cares for you. The Greek verb for casting in this text is a little stronger. It means, in a sense, to throw, and so I actually like it a little better that way. Dump all your cares on God. <laughs> for God cares for you. That's a good, it's a good, helpful thought. Someone has said that bad things happen when the pace of change exceeds our ability to change. It is then that we feel the loss of control over our lives. Anxiety creates fear. Fear leads to anger. And lang- anger leads to hatred and violence. We heard earlier in this letter Peter cautioning these first Christians and how to avoid this cycle. And Peter tells them whether people are saying bad things about you or good, go forth and do the good, for it's better to do the good than to do, do the bad. Keep yourselves focused on Christ Jesus. In Acts, we leave the first disciples frozen in fear. They are looking up to heaven. And sometimes we just, frozen it, when people are afraid, they sort of freeze as they're frozen against the cliff. And somebody frozen against a cliff doesn't want to see how far it is to the top. They just want enough help to put one hand above the other. And that's what comes to us in these texts. They are told, well, go, your, go to Jerusalem. You will meet God there. It is a great comfort that we find God actually in our future. It is our call, our purpose, to stand in the midst of our worries and bear witness to a life of peace, to live our lives in peace, to be at peace and simply be. In the face of anxiety, people need three things. They need assurance, they need a sense of purpose, and they need need confidence that they can achieve it. Assurance, purpose, confidence. All these three things are helpful in the midst of anxiety, and we can find them in the midst of this short passage. First, assurance. You are not alone. 
One of the things about people who suffer, all of us suffer from anxiety and fear, is that in the midst of that, we feel so alone. And this is the first thing Peter does in this this little, little section of text. He reminds them that you are not alone. Christians all over are experiencing the same thing you are. That is such a comfort sometimes to be free. Be free to tell one another. Be free to recognize that we're all experiencing these fears. You are not alone. Goes to the next step. You are not alone in the sense that God is with you. In this passage, Peter brings to our attention the idea that God is with us in a little apocalyptic moment, which is difficult to communicate to us today. And this is why this passage, this, these early scriptures, as this is early, sound a little difficult to our ears. I came across the perfect way to translate apocalyptic hope in watching a movie the other day. Who's seen uh, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel? Yeah, it's a popular one. And I started that movie. I remember it was in the theater. I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be such a silly movie. The guy riding around a bicycle, all the movie, all will be well, all will be well. And if it's not well, it's not the end yet. All, in the end, all will be well. And if things aren't well, it means it's not the end. All will be well. That's a, actually a nice window into apocalyptic thought. And so if everybody, anybody comes at you with a book of Revelation, what does this mean? It means that in the end, all will be well. <laughs> it, it actually is, uh, if you can translate it that far, it's a core Christian conviction that actually brings me great comfort in the midst of anxieties and fear for the future. Churches are always fearing for the future. We don't have enough people. Things are, things are really going south. We have a Memorial Day weekend. There's a few people gone. Places are going to collapse like a house of cards. Oh my gosh. Churches kind of can be that way. Your pastors can be that way. All will be well. Friends, all will be well. And that's one of the re- reasons I, in my best moments, which are, pe- are perhaps too few, there are moments where I just freed from the future, freed from worrying about it, and just being who we're called to be. All will be well. I'm told that this is a conviction unique to the Judeo-Christian tradition. Other faiths concentrate on God's, and other sometimes versions of Christianity, concentrate on God's utter separateness from us, that God is wholly perfect. The, the immovable mover, as it's been called. But in the Christian tradition, God is much closer. God is close enough and cares for us so much that we can dump all of our concerns about the future on God. That is, in one way, to interpret God's gift in Jesus Christ. If any of you have had the occasion to have someone's cares dumped on you, You know what a burden that is. And imagine all of the world's cares, God, taking over. It's it's an amazing thing that we are free, that God has done for us. All will be well. God inhabits our future, so we need not be afraid. 
couple of Bible verses I keep with me to remind me of this is from Romans 8, and this is a core one uh, in my life. There's nothing, nothing in life or in death or in all creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a good one to memorize? Keep that with you. I think last Sunday I mentioned this image in the Apostles' Creed and also early in this letter of Christ even descending to hell to preach to those in prison. There's no place in life or in death that God is absent from you. It's a remarkable conviction. So all will be well in the end. This other beautiful piece of scripture, the peace I leave with you, the peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Just speaking those words kind of brings peace and obscure uh, study of rhetoric, we call this performative language, which means in speaking the language, this thing comes to pass. Be at peace. Repeat that after me. Be at peace. Yes. Oh, gosh, thank you. <laughs> it is that gift, that gift we, in the freedom of knowing that God inhabits the future, we can dump all those concerns and we can be at peace I like that. Whenever I read that, those two, three sentences from John, I stumble over that, I do not give to you as the world gives. And sometimes I pause and think what on earth that means. But in the context of anxiety and, and Peter's instruction to this early church, now I know is that the first thing we want to, anxiety tends to be one of the most uncomfortable human feelings. And so the first thing we try to do with that is what? We try to give it to our neighbor. <laughs> that's, the, that's the lovely thing about our fears and anxieties is that the, best, the, the way we like to cope with it is actually to spread it around, which in the end doesn't help us any, and it hasn't helped our neighbor any. But it is natural. It's the natural human tendency, and I have over the years begun to recognize it Anxiety manifests itself in family units most closely, and churches are a lot like a family. And so in the midst of our, the anxieties of the world, sometimes we develop this, this dynamic in, in church leadership that emerges in families, is that when we are anxious, what do we do? We like to share it with one another. Those kind of churches tend out to be not places that people want to be. One of the things about anxiety is that it's such an unpleasant experience that we dump it on others. This encouragement in Peter is don't dump it on one another. Dump it on God. Anxiety manifests in our relationships with one another through scolding, complaining, lamenting, grumbling, none of which we've ever heard. <laughs> it's one, whenever I hear that, it's one of the ways I recognize we're actually just on, on the surface of issues. We are in the midst of reacting. One of the things we need is the assurance that we can bring peace. 
we have assurance. The second part of it is purpose. It is our purpose as a church. We have this great gift, a gift that a lot of people in the world do not have now, is a purpose to know our purpose, that life has meaning. And when we're here each Sunday, not only are we given the assurance of God inhabiting our future, is we're given this purpose, and purpose to share the peace we are given. That's an incredible thing. And when we focus on that, it can help us replace this other negative world of reacting. Assurance, a sense of purpose. The third thing that folks need in the midst of anxiety is confidence. Confidence that we can, in fact, change. That we do, in fact, have enough in ourselves to work our way out of whatever situation we are in. And this is the, also immediately in this text is such, this is all in this very ancient text. Peter tells this community that you can resist the temptation. Now he uses language that I perhaps wouldn't use in speaking to someone about this, but he's saying the devil is lurking at your door. You can overcome it. He's been working with us about this for a while. You have a chance to do good or spread this around. It is in your court. You can do it. This advice coming from such an ancient text, we have recognized now in the world world of psychology that there's a physiology at work here. There's a portion of our brains that functions before we can think about it. This is the portion of our brains that is constantly at work detecting threats. And what this part of our brain does is, is if a threat is detected, it throws us into that fight or flight experience. It spins the body up in emotion and adrenaline and prepares us to run (laughs) or for combat. It's a very ancient, it keeps us alive is what it does. But what happens is that folks that live a great deal of their life in adversity for whatever reason or another, and maybe a difficulty within the family unit, and maybe whole communities, marginalized community. I'm familiar with it from the, from the gay and lesbian community. People that have, that have spent their lives either at home or in the world in a, under a situation of threat, the part of their brains that does this becomes overactive. It's called hypervigilance. Sometimes churches under threat. We've been, you know, how many times have the mainline churches been told since 1965 that it's all going to hell? <laughs> A lot. And so we have several decades of saying, you're not enough. And this is one way in which our communities become like our lives, places in which we don't respond, but we react. So when this part of our brains, this anxious part of our brains, becomes hyperactive, it feels like everything is a life or death situation. I've never encountered this in churches. Some conflict on the calendar. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Little things. 
that provoke people into the, the most out of, out of just reactions about, that's all about extravagant fear and grumbling and complaining, when what's needed is to take a breath and move our reactions from re- reaction to response. My gosh, if God inhabits our future, be at peace, friends. Be at peace and simply be. It's such a gift. One habit to help anxiety is to retrain the brain in the midst of these negative emotions with a simple phrase, making space in our lives to simply be. It's a practice of Christian community to expect to not and to not to expect the best out of someone, not the worst. To give someone the benefit of the doubt. To take take a breath before you send that cranky email, <laughs> which I do not sometimes. Let's get our brains. This is the gift we have to the world. We can dump our our concerns on God. Let's take a breath and simply be. No who we are called to be. It's such a gift God plants in the church to be given to the world. It's such a gift. Oftentimes, new folks come into church communities, and sometimes they'll hear that little moment of griping, complaining, whinging that happens every once in a while. Might happen on the patio, might happen in the line on the way out. Pastor Mark, did you know this? Yeah. The person behind me, who's here for the first Sunday, who's in the midst of their own anxiety and hurt, they're well-educated. They're looking for places not where that's found, but where they can be at peace and simply be. For me, that one of, that's found in worship, by the end of a worship service, I am at peace. Sometimes that lasts for about a day. <laughs> Take a walk in your neighborhood. All will be well. All will be well. It's not just wishful thinking. It's true. If God indeed inhabits our future, we can stop that cycle and remind ourselves that all will be well. And instead of reacting, we can respond. What does that look like on the grand scale? Not necessarily on the grand scale, but a critical scale. In 2015, a couple days after a terrorist attack, one man who'd lost his wife in that attack in Paris wrote these words. On Friday night, these roads were published in a newspaper to the terrorist. On Friday night, you stole the life of an exceptional human being, the love of my life, but you will not have my hate. I don't know who you are, and I don't want to. You want me to be scared. You want me to see my fellow citizens through suspicious eyes. You want me to sacrifice my freedom for security. You have failed because you will not 
have my hate, and you will not have the hate of my young son either. Remarkable thing. Someone who stepped out of that cycle of fear, anger, anxiety, and hatred, and violence, and instead rested his life in another space. We've given a remarkable gift, the assurance that in the end all will be well, the purpose to be at peace and simply be peace for the world, and the confidence that each of us can do it. And to God alone will be the glory if we do, now and forever. Amen.